Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. <clears throat> yeah, so Pastor Matt said, listen, um, you know, I want you to stay with what I'm doing, and you, you need to be in chapter 16. And so I looked at that. He said, you kind of have freedom with that. <laughs> I texted back and said, I pretty much need the whole chapter. He said, all right. So uh, that, that's why we read so much there. But let's, uh, what I see here is I see three or four foundational truths in this passage that I want to point out. As a matter of fact, here's what I want to say. I would say this is kind of an attitude or a disposition that you and I need to have when it comes to uh, receiving the Spirit of God and, and then living for the Spirit of God, just doing what he says to do. So it's kind of like an attitude check this morning, all right? So turn to your neighbor and say, hey, check your attitude. And then you turn back and say, no, you check your attitude. Yeah, all right, so we're going to do an attitude check. Yeah, see, I have a 15-year-old daughter, so I, I'm good at saying that right there, all right? But yeah, so we're gonna. What is our attitude? How do we respond to the Spirit of God? What do we do with that? So I see, like I said, three or four things here. Let, let me give you the first one. The first thing is this: I think we we have to start here. Is we have to be willing to listen for the call of God on your life. You've got to be willing to listen for the call of God on your life. All right. Um, and, and so what I want to do is look, I want to just. Look at this again real quick, verse just 9 and 10. He said, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia, northern Greece, was standing there pleading with him, hey, come over to Macedonia and help us. I'd say that's a pretty good revelation, wouldn't you? Someone shows up to you in a vision and say, we need help over here. Uh, you, you might want to pay attention to that. Matter of fact, I kind of chuckle when I read good verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. You know, that's a pretty good sign. And then he says, having concluded that God was calling us to preach, all right? So I think when you get a message like that, you can conclude that God is calling you to do something. But that got me thinking, actually in verse 6, let's back up for just a second. It says that, that um, now Paul and Silas traveled through the area, those areas there, and the Holy Spirit prevented them from going into the province of Asia. And so for a time, it, it looks like, man, doors are shut to Paul. That he can't go here and he can't do there. And um, it, it probably seems strange to him that he was barred from the providence of, of Asia uh, by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it contained Ephesus. It contained uh, all the recipients of those letters in the book of Revelation, Bithynia that it just, we just mentioned. So I, it just probably, I, I think we can be real here. I think, man, Paul was probably discouraged. I mean, he has, he has a, a call on his life. We, we, Matt did an incredible message on Acts 9 where the conversion of Saul to Paul. We know he's called now, but for whatever reason, doors are shut. And I imagine Paul is probably somewhat discouraged by this. Anybody in here ever been discouraged before? One or two of you? Yeah. I think we all can find, I think we're in good company, though, right? Even the Apostle Paul probably felt some discouragement as well. But for whatever reason, now the Holy Spirit is ready for him to move. He's ready to use him and his friends. And I want to add this real quick. Another possibility of why he may not have, not only that the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go, it could have also been possibly Paul's health. We don't know this for sure. Um, uh, maybe is that thorn in his flesh that he mentions uh, in 2 Corinthians. But what makes this likely is verse 10. Um, suddenly, there emerges a we passage. Uh, the story begins to be told not in the third person, but in the first person now. Uh, that tells us that Luke showed up. Luke is an eyewitness account to this. But why is it important that Luke shows up? Because he's a doctor. And maybe Paul has had, was struggling with something, and, and more than likely Paul met him, and uh, had him, he needed his professional service because he had fallen here, and that's what kept him from going on missionary journeys. I, 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 you know, I don't know why. Well, all we know is that he was forbidden for some reason. Now he's open to go. Um, but you don't have to wonder if maybe 
and, and this is just a side note here, but it, is it suggestive to reflect that Paul maybe took this weakness and this pain even as a messenger from God? Anybody ever done that before? You've had some pain, you've had some struggles, but it's because of those pains, it's because of those struggles and those disappointments you're able to hear God a little more clearly. Maybe God is saying something to Paul and he's using this time for whatever reason now. Uh, he says, I want you to go. I want you to go. Whatever, the, whatever way he got a hold of him. But here's, what I, here's what I, the point I'm getting at is that Paul was obviously in sync with the Spirit of God. Um, and, and, God's, and by God's saving grace, Paul went uh, west. Uh, God led Paul west into Europe and not into Asia. Uh, I think it would be very interesting about maybe what would happen in human history if, if it had not gone that way. But that got me thinking about this, though. And here's the application at this point, because you're probably wondering where I'm going with that. And here, here we are. Am I, this, this is what I had to stop and ask, and I wrote this question down. Am I listening for God's voice? And stop and think about that. Truly, do I really want to hear what God has to say? Am I listening for him? Um, I mean, think about this with me for just a second. You know, the world is a noisy place, is it not? I mean, it's very noisy. I mean, I wrote just some things, and we have TVs, we have computers, we have iPads, we have iPhones, we have movies, we have social media, we have cables, we have sports, we have texting, we have FaceTime, we have music. I have over 10,000 songs downloaded on my phone, all right? I mean, what? I remember I used to have a Walkman. Some of you guys even know what a Walkman is. And, you know, I had that sucker on my side and headphones on, and, and I could only take a few tapes with me to change them out. Ten, I mean, how am I even going to listen to 10,000 songs? You, you hear what I'm saying? There's a lot of distractions in the world, right? The world is noisy. And Netflix. Don't even get me started on Netflix. I love Netflix. I had to call my dad the other day. My dad is an avid reader. And, and right now I'm not pastoring a church, and I'm not teaching a, line, a course online, a, a class online right now. So I'm just kind of cutting grass and have a lot of free time, and I find myself binge-watching shows. So I called my dad and said, listen, i got to stop this. Bring me some books. Just, just bring me books over. Because the point I'm trying to make is the world is noisy, isn't it? There's so many things that are just grabbing for our attention. Not, not only that, what about relationships? I mean, we have to be, some of us, we've got to be spouses and parents and children and, and brothers and sisters and bosses and employees. And, man, the world is just so noisy. And so I think... We have to find time. Maybe God will throw a vision up in the air and say, hey, come over here. Or maybe it's just a little whisper, a nudge from the Spirit of God. But if we are so distracted by the things of this world, <laughs> will we hear it? You see, I believe this. I believe Paul was listening for the Spirit of God. Paul was ready to receive that call of God on his life. And I also think it's, it's so beautiful. We know this. Life is hard. Life is discouraging. Life is a struggle. Um, and through those discouragements, though, I wonder if possibly kind of like the Apostle Paul did, through those discouragements, through our illnesses, through our financial uh, struggles, our relational struggles, maybe that's when we can hear God the most because that's when we need God the most. And I mentioned this in the first service and. I, I said, I think this is pretty theologically sound. I certainly don't want to say anything that isn't. But I just wrote this down. You know, you can never be, you can never be used of God if you're not listening for God. And this was an essential step. Paul had been called, but he was waiting. I think he was waiting with anticipation. God, what do you want me to do next? And I'm discouraged because I can't go. I can't go here. I can't do there. Something's keeping me down. But for whatever reason, when the time was right, the Spirit of God said, Go. 
And Paul heard it, and he was ready. Amen? Amen. Question is, are you and I listening? Are we listening for God's call in our life? Here's the second thing that I think is a transformational truth we find in this text. And I'm going to camp out here for a few minutes. We're going to be here really most of the time because this is, this is essential. But I want, I want you to write this down or think about this or whatever. Share the gospel. You see, you hear the call, you receive that call, you listen for it. Now you go and you share the gospel with anyone and everyone. Hear me this morning, okay? The gospel is for everyone. In this text we see three different individuals whose lives were forever changed by Jesus, all right? Now, and they were radically different, and here's why I say they were radically different. We looked at this, uh, as Maria so beautifully read for us in the text there, and we see it. Um, If there is a social ladder, and we know there is, and every society has one. We've got one here. Every culture has a a social ladder. But in a a social ladder, uh, the three individuals that we see in this story are on three different rungs of that social ladder. Does that make sense? And I think it's beautiful that Luke chooses to highlight these three people, and it shows you and me how important the gospel is and how the gospel is for every single person. Nobody without reach of the love of Jesus. So let's look at that for just a second here. Let me, let's look at the first one. Let's walk through these. The first one we meet is a woman named Lydia, and she's a purple merchant, all right? Lydia the purple merchant. Maybe you've heard of the purple people eater. I don't even know what that is. This is Lydia the, the, the purple merchant, all right? And now we know that Lydia was at the top of the social ladder. Now, how do we know that? Well, uh, we, we can assume that because of this. Um, there was a guy by the name of Jim Fleming, and he wrote a book on the life of Paul, and he really helped to illustrate this. I think this will bring it together. Uh, he says this. He goes, now, there was a huge town square at Philippi and at the, at the bottom of the citadel, and the Ganges River runs alongside that town. Now, if there, was a, if there was a town where Jews were there, but there weren't enough Jews to be a synagogue, what those Jews would do is they would look for a river that represent that river, because that's running water, living water, that's where they would gather. Because a river always represented living water. Standing water, like a well, that was done by human effort. But living water, such as a river, it flows freely, and it represents grace. And so the rabbi said, if you're going to have a place to have worship, if you don't have a synagogue, do it by a river, because that represents the grace of God. Seems logical, doesn't it? Makes sense. So that's what's happening. These people are meeting here. They're they're by this river, um, and they're having this worship service. And and this is where Paul comes along. And he comes to Philippi, and he finds these town people, and he finds this woman named Lydia there. And now we know this. Lydia was in the purple dye business. And the, he said she would have had a several million dollar inventory. Wow. A typical purple robe in 1995 dollars would have cost over $100,000. And, and I remember when I was in seminary with, with Dr. Friedemann, we were going through this, and I remember he said, because uh, I, I just never forgot this, at that time, a thimble full of purple dye. Would, it would take three, or excuse me, 30,000 Murex snails just to get one thimblesful of purple dye. Point being this. Therefore, Lydia was at the top of the social ladder because it was only rich folks who were going to be able to buy things that were dyed in purple. Does that make sense? So here is Lydia, who is at the top of the social ladder. Paul and his gang come along, and they, they, they tell the incredible story of Jesus, and Lydia is forever transformed. Amen? This is a woman who's at the top of the social ladder. She's transformed. Now, a lot of people, I know this wouldn't apply to anybody in this room, but other folks, they're very cynical. 
And we think, well, yeah, you know, we, no wonder they went to the rich folks. That's, I mean, that's what Paul wants to do ministry or, or whatever. You know, there's a whole lot of wealth, health, and prosperity. So, yeah, get the rich folks saved because we need them to do ministry. Well, guess what? That's just one of the people in this story that Paul ministered to, right? So look, let's look at the second. Let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum here. The next person that we're introduced to is, oh, we don't know her name, but it's just simply a slave girl. A slave girl was healed. She was healed from a demonic possession. Now, the scripture does not explicitly say that she was one to Jesus. It doesn't specifically say that, that she became, you know, a follower but and this wasn't any commentary. I just kind of wrote this in my notes. You know, but dictate, uh, but logic kind of dictates, at least it does to me, that if you have a demon in you and it's kind of got control and possession of your life and Jesus comes along and sets that demon, uh, gets rid of that demon and sets you free, don't you think you kind of want to follow that guy from now on? <laughs> Amen. Anyway, that's just my thought on that. Back to the story, though. So no sooner or later are people in Philippi becoming saved, people like Lydia, and then Satan begins to do what he does so well, his ugly work. And here is this girl who was possessed by a demon, and she was making her masters a lot of money by telling fortunes. I was talking to a, a young person the other day, a 15-year-old kid. He said, Pastor Tim, do you think these, these fortune tellers are real, what they're doing? Can they really do that? And I said, no, I don't, and try to explain it a little bit. I said, but I'll tell you this, I think the demonic activity behind those fortune tellers is real. He didn't really know what to do with that. He just kind of looked at me like, I don't understand that. But I think that's what's happening here. I think that's what's going on here. She's able to tell these fortunes because she's possessed by the devil. And so Paul and his companions are moving along. They're going to all these places, telling people about Jesus, doing what they do every day. And this woman is coming along behind, her, behind them, shouting, it says, these men are servants of the Most High, and, the, and, and um, who only show, excuse me, these are the servants of the Most, God, Most High God, who shows us the way to salvation. That's what they're yelling, and I love the text there. It says, finally, he was so annoyed with her, Paul turned around and cast the demon out. Maybe Paul didn't want the gospel or even the name of God to be promoted by one of Satan's slaves, but whatever reason, he cast her out. But you know what I think is sad? In this story, and I'm sure you're smart folks, you've picked up on it too. And I think it's a reality yet today. The owners of this slave girl showed no concern whatsoever from her well-being, for her well-being. They didn't give a rip. A demonic being possessed her, had control of her life, and they were ticked off because they were losing money. which unfortunately is the case, I think, for some in ministry today. They care more about money and fortune and fame than they do about the people that they minister to. But I think it's extraordinary. Two examples. Paul was at the top, or excuse me, Lydia is at the top of the social ladder, and Paul ministers to her. This slave girl, listen, in Rome, if you owned a slave, she was not, that slave was not a person. It was a piece of property. If you were having a bad day as a Roman citizen and you owned a slave and you wanted to take it out on that slave and kill that slave, nobody was going to hold you accountable. You cannot get any lower than a slave on the social ladder. Are you with me? Paul has ministered to Lydia at the top of the ladder, and he's ministered to the slave girl at the bottom of the ladder. But then there's a third person that's introduced, and that's the jailer. Now, the jailer was not rich, but he wasn't as poor as a slave. 
and um, you know he had income coming in. He was employed by the Roman government, and so we put him in the middle class there. But he was saved. He's in the middle of that social ladder there. Now, um, Paul and Silas, as we read in the story, we saw it. Because they rescued this slave girl from a demonic power, just to put it bluntly, the people in the town were ticked off. They were mad. And as a result, guess what happens? And I just I want to hang out here for just a second because this is so beautiful. It's not beautiful at first what happens, but it's beautiful the result of what happens. Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in prison. And they were put in stocks. Now, this, this passage says just their feet were put in stocks. But many times, um, they would take those prisoners, they would put their neck and their arms in a stock as well as their feet. And you could not move. You ever had an itch you just couldn't get to and it's just driving you crazy? All right, you know, well, imagine if you're in stocks, you can't scratch anything. <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even think straight. Matter of fact, I just, I just want you to, I'm painting a picture here for you. I want us to understand the situation that Paul and Silas are in. And they are in these stocks and they are in these prisons. And it, it says that, that people actually, they committed suicide all the time because of the dankness and the filth and the excrement and the hopelessness. I mean, this was not a pleasant situation. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know about Tim Burnett. And when bad things happen to me, I, I kind of have a tendency to whine about it. Are you with me? Just kind of sulk. Why me? Why did this happen? I kind, of, I kind of have a tendency to cry victim. I don't have a tendency to say, I love you, Jesus, thanks. I should, but that's not typically my first response. Not these guys, though. What does the scripture say they were doing? What does it say they were doing? Singing and praying. They were singing hymns. Hear me. Listen to me. You and I, as you know, we will face trials. We will face pain. We will face disappointment. We will face hurt. We will face setbacks. That is the reality of the life that we live in now. And that sounds like doom and gloom. And man, why did I come here this guy today? That's not very exciting, right? But, but wait, hold on. Don't leave yet because here's the difference. See, the difference is found in how you and I choose to respond to those negative circumstances. As, and as believers in Jesus Christ, you and I always have hope. Yes. Amen? You, no matter what we are facing, you and I always have hope. There is always hope. Yes. And, and think about this. And then when we react positively to those ne- negative circumstances, guess what? Not only does that hope affect you, but it affects everyone around you. I mean, come on. How many of you have been next to somebody who is ultimately negative? been in their lives, and you know what feeling that gives you compared to a person who's positive. Which of the two would you rather hang out with? <laughs> of course. You want to hang out with a positive person. Well, look, they're in stocks. They're in the midst of, they're in prison. I mean, they know that very easily their lives could be ended very soon. They don't know what's going to happen to them. And yet, Paul and Silas are in there singing songs. And they're praying and they're singing hymns in jail led to at least five other effects. Look what it said here in verse 25. Guess what? Other people were listening. Other prisoners were listening. When you praise God, no matter what's happening, people take note of that. I've had people say to me before, because I've had some rough stuff going on in my life, just like you have, and I've I've had people literally say to me, I I don't get it. How are you handling this so well? I said, well, you know, I I, I can put on a look sometimes. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult. But the ultimate answer to that, and I don't want to sound cliche-ish, the truth is, it's just simply Jesus. That's all I know to say. I can handle it well because I have hope. And so Paul and Silas, of course, 
let's be fair, they had a captive audience. But Paul and Silas, they're in a prison, and guess what? The other prisoners are taking notice. You know what? I kind of want what that guy has. Amen? I mean, I, I, look, we're in here. We're not singing. What does he have that I don't have? What an incredible thing. So other prisoners begin to listen. And then verse 26, it says doors just simply fly open. I mean, miracles begin to take place. I, I don't know. I, I, I Kind of just like Pastor Matt does and some of you others, I, I go to Rankin County Jail and do prison ministry there myself. And um, I know when those, I mean, I, every single time I go in there and, and I go into prison, they shut that door behind me and I hear that clank. I know. I ain't getting out of here unless somebody unlocks that door. <laughs> uh, you know, which, I mean, that's fine. If I need to be here with these guys, we'll be here. But I know I'm not getting out unless someone opens it or a miracle takes place. Doors start flying open. Verse 26, chains come loose. Chains begin to fall off. And then the incredible question that is stated in verse 30 says, Sirs, what, was, what must we do to be saved? Because whatever you have, we want this. We see what this Jesus guy is doing in your life, and I want that. And then ultimately, verse 34, it tells us that the jailer was filled with joy, and he and his family came to believe in God. Amen? Amen. This is remarkable. And I just want to say this real quick. I mean, you know, we've got, we've got Lydia at the top of the social class. We've got the Roman jailer in the middle of the social class. And then we've got the slave girl at the bottom. And Ajith Fernando said this. In comment in relation to their singing. I love this. He said, when they prayed and sang in the prison, they were resorting to a time-tested method of responding to suffering. Numerous psalms have been written out of the depths of despair. We can just start with like Psalm 27 and 42 and 43. And he said this. He said, singing helps us focus on the glorious eternal realities that... um, that may be clouded by the gloomy temporary realities. It helps us especially because when we cannot produce our own words, we can use the words of others. Songs help truth travel down to the heart. And the use of music, the language of the heart, helps speed that process. And then he ended with this. The permanent triumphs over the temporary. Amen? Now I know I have 10,000 songs on my phone, right? Because I go through a lot of trouble. I need a lot of music. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say that Paul and Silas had a successful and a fruitful ministry in Philippi, wouldn't you? And the extraordinary thing about Paul's work in Philippi is this amazing cross-section of the population that was one for Jesus. Uh, Of the many conversions in Philippi, Luke highlights three people with three significantly different backgrounds. A businesswoman who was probably single, a slave girl under the bondage, of the spirit of divination, and a jailer in a Roman prison. If I can real quick, one more time, just quote Ajith Fernando. He said this, and it's really, it's a very eye-opening statement, and there's a lot of truth to it, sadly. He says, this choice is in keeping with the prominent emphasis in Acts on the fact that Christ, and this is the beautiful part, Christ breaks barriers that separates humans So he creates a new humanity. Amen to that, right? But then he said this, and I think he's on to something. The theme of the church as consisting of believers from diverse backgrounds has often been neglected by evangelicals despite its prominence in Scripture. Prominence in Scripture. Church, that's a problem. And I tell you right now, Jesus Christ is for 
everyone. Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter whether you are at the top of the social ladder or the middle of the social ladder or the bottom. It doesn't matter whether you are white, whether you are black, whether you are Hispanic, whether you are Russian. It doesn't matter whether you are young or you are old. Jesus loves you and he's for you. No one is ever too far gone for Jesus. No one is too rich, too poor, or too middle class. You know, the lost, if you think about it, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. But salvation just comes in one shape, and that's the shape of a cross. Jesus is for everyone. So we've got to hear that call. And then we respond to that call by sharing with anyone and everyone. I want to just share two other things with you here quickly and see how much time I've got left. Well, Matt's not here, so i got all day. Uh, let's just, a uh, couple points here, two more things. No, I, I really want to highlight this. Uh, note this, true conversion or true repentance and salvation, if you notice, they always lead to good deeds. Now, true repentance and true salvation always lead to good deeds. Now, we know good deeds don't save us, and that's not what I said. But when you are saved, good deeds should be a very much a part of your and I's lifestyle. Matter of fact, we can see this right here with two of the people, with both Lydia and the jailer, immediately, once they have come to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ and what he did for them, their actions proved it. Question is, are your actions or my actions proven that we love Jesus? But look here, let's, let's look, look at this real quick. Let's just start with Lydia, all right? Um, it says that immediately her reaction was to offer hospitality to, uh, of her house to Paul and his companions. I mean, think about this for just a second. When describing Christian character in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says that the Christian should be given to hospitality. And when Peter is urging Christian duty upon his converts, he tells them, practice hospitality ungrudgingly to one another. Church, hear me on this real quick. A Christian home is always an open home. Now, hold on, because we live in a dangerous world. I know. (laughs) But I'm telling you what the Bible says. And an open home is a Christian home. And here's what we've become. We have become that instant garage door society, right? You get up in the morning, for those of us who have garage doors anyway. I I have, my children live in my garage, so I don't really have one. But but most other people in my neighborhood, you know, they'll, they'll get in their car. Then they'll raise the garage door. They'll back out, shut the garage door, go to work. They'll come home, open that garage door, pull in the garage, shut the garage door, go inside, and never talk to any of their neighbors. <laughs> right? Can I just tell you? And I know, we, we all do that, and, and I've done that when I did have a garage door. I, I'm just saying, there's the mentality to shut the world out. Because I've got enough of my own problems, right? Why do I want to deal with yours, too? But you can't help but notice the immediate reaction from Lydia and from the jailer that when Jesus gets a hold of them, i got to do something. I gotta, I, what can I do? What can I, I'm full of this joy. I'm full of this excitement. And I think a lot of us have that when we first come to know Jesus, and sometimes it dwindles away. We need to have that excitement throughout the course of our lives. Same thing with the jailer's response. He immediately proved his conversion by his deeds. No sooner had he turned to Christ. Though this is, to me, this is beautiful. R- remember, he was the one responsible. Well, I mean, he, he wasn't the one who gave the decree, but he made sure they were locked up. I don't know if he's the one who actually beat them, but he probably oversaw it. And now it says he is washing their wounds. 
the very guy who put them into stocks and oversaw their beating is now taking care of their needs. See, Jesus, when he transforms you, he transforms you, doesn't he? And in this situation, both of them could not help but say, I'm overrun. Hear me. Unless a man's Christianity makes him kind and caring, it is not a real conversion. People who love Jesus love other people, and they show it by their actions. Let me illustrate it this way. One day I'm going to write a book, and that book's going to be called um, Every Pastor Should Be an Uber Driver. Let me explain, all right? Um, uh, right now, I'm not pastoring a church, and so I'm, I, I, I have a, a lawn business that I'm trying to grow. So uh, um, every now and then, so I decided that in the winter months, I, I'm going to be an Uber driver. I just thought, I'm going to see, I like it because I can make my own schedule. Well, I ended up, I don't Uber anymore because of the money, because it doesn't pay very well, but I have the, the life experiences. I feel like I have done more ministry as an Uber driver than I ever did sitting behind the doors, in the, in the doors of a church being a pastor, to a degree. I mean that, I really do. So I pick up this one guy on a Friday night, and um, I pick him up, and, and he's, he's kind of in an odd location that I realize is across the street from a bar. For whatever reason, he left there, and he's just standing outside. He gets in my, he gets in my truck. And uh, say, hey, man, how you doing? He said, all right. He just starts talking. I mean, he is, he is already well on his way to being intoxicated. And he just talks and talks and talks, cussing left and right. Almost everyone of them gets in my car to do. And um, just cussing like crazy. And so I see um, on the app that we are going from this bar to Finian's Pub on Fortification Street. And so um, we're, we're just talking and we're just, actually, I'm not talking. I couldn't say a thing if I wanted to because he would not shut up. He talked the whole entire time. Finally, we, 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 actually, I'm at the traffic light on State Street in Fortification, and I can hear a noise, a sound, like, like a muffled talking. I, 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 didn't, I just thought maybe it was a car. I didn't really pay much attention to it. Pull up into Finian's, and as I'm pulling up, I see three people standing outside. If you don't know where Finian's is, there's, there's a balcony outside uh, that you can sit on. It's, it's an upper balcony, and you just sit out, and people you know, drink beer and whatever, and whatever you do at a bar, that's what they're doing. But there's these three guys standing outside. And I said to the guy sitting next to me, because I had a feeling he probably frequented this place for a lot. I said, uh, you know what they're doing? He goes, oh, yeah, it's those blankety-blank Christians. I said, oh, really? That intrigued me. And, um, I, and, and so we pulled up. And my windows are down. And now I can see it. One guy has this, this sign he's holding. And it says, all fornicators and adulterers and porn watchers, you're all going to burn in hell. And then there's this guy playing a tape. That's what I heard up at the corner. It's just to some guy preaching, quoting things. And this other guy was literally pointing his finger at each one of them saying, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. I was like, wow. So I said to my buddy now, I said, listen, I said, um, I said well, how, how does that make you feel? And I said, does that make you, and I, by the way, I introduced myself. I said, by the way, I just, I just say, I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I will not repeat what he said. In here, but it was quick, like, he's like, blank, no blankety blank, man. No way, you're a blankety blank pastor? Well, I've never been referred to like that, but yes, I, I am. He goes, man, that's blankety cool. Anyway, so I, I said, well, what are you, these guys? I said, let, let me ask you this. I said, do you think, does this, does this make you want what they have? Does this make you want God? Does this make you want Jesus? 
He's like, oh, no. He says, man, I don't want have, if that's what God is like, I don't have anything to do with God. I don't have anything to do with Christians. I don't have anything to do with Jesus. But he, I mean, he just kind of parenthetically goes, but you're kind of cool. <laughs> I was like, well, that's not what I'm going for with things. And I just turned to him. I said, listen. I said, man, what this is, I, I apologize. This is not Jesus. This is not Jesus. Now, everything they were saying was true. I'm not going to argue with, with the truth. But I said, I'm just going to tell you, can I just tell you what I know about Jesus in my relationship with the person of Jesus, not religion, but of Jesus? If Jesus were here on the streets of Jackson tonight, he would not be hanging out with those three guys. Jesus would walk, he would open that door to Finian's, he would walk upstairs in that balcony, he would plant himself at the table with you guys and say, let's talk about life. Now, the thing is, when you spend a few minutes with Jesus, see, you, you, don't, you won't have to scream and yell that you're a sinner. You're going to know you're a sinner when you're in the presence of holiness. And I just said to my new friend, I said, listen, man, I'm so sorry. That is not Jesus. Acts of service, acts of good deeds are what we should do, but they should always be done with kindness. Always be done with kindness. All right, let me give you the fourth and final thing here. We've talked about um, what our attitude should be, you know, following the Holy Spirit and our response. We hear a call and we respond to that call. And then I think once what we are transformed by Jesus, if we're not doing acts of service, then we're not really saved. I mean, it's just, I mean, go read the book of James, right? You, you can't have faith without deeds. But you know what? As I read this story, and I'll, I'll just end with this quickly. Paul says this. Our, our, here's what I put down. I said, we should also have the attitude of Paul. I see three things. Man, when I look at Paul, I think, I mean, obviously, I want Jesus, and I want the spirit of Jesus, but I also want to be like Paul. I do. I love his attitude. And there's three things I want to highlight real quick. Here's the first one, is this. Obviously, we know that he had been radically transformed. Amen? Again, a few weeks ago, Pastor Matt preached a sermon in here on Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul. that, That sermon was one of the best sermons I've heard in years. And a matter of fact, I was asked the next week to preach somewhere, and I, I just I preached that sermon. I told Matt, I gave him full credit for it, so I, just, I didn't even write a new sermon. I just preached it. It was that life transforming. So if you have not heard that sermon yet, uh, I know there's ways you can get to it, website and stuff. You need to go listen to that. But, um, but we, we know, remember from there, how this was Saul. Saul, before he became Paul, Saul was a murderer. I mean, he agreed to have Stephen stoned. Saul had letters in hand on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, followers of the way, to have them either beaten or killed. I mean, he had blood on his hands. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you doing this? I want you to get off of that team and come join my team. Instead of persecuting me, I want you to live for me. And what happened? Paul, Saul became Paul, and he was radically transformed. Amen? Amen. Can I just tell you, you cannot do any effective ministry until you are radically transformed. You can't. A lot of people give lip service to Jesus. I didn't didn't tell this in the first story. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I listened to these girls one time in the back of my car talking. They were already intoxicated, cussing, just who they're sleeping with, blah, blah, blah. And then one girl mentioned Jesus, and suddenly it turned into, oh, I love Jesus. I'm not kidding. You went from sex and drugs and alcohol and, and cussing to I love Jesus. <laughs> we, we know because we attend this church, we understand the doctrine of holiness. If you're going to love Jesus, you've got to be like Jesus. Amen? And if you're going to do effective ministry, you've got to be radically transformed. You can't live like the world and then say I love Jesus. Anyway, so Paul was radically transformed. But here's two other qualities about Paul that I love. 
he could praise God in any situation. I love that. Now, I already alluded to this earlier. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but, but I want to mention it again briefly. He could sing hymns while he was in stocks at pri- in prison at midnight. I'm getting old now. And at midnight, I just want to be asleep, let alone in prison in stocks and singing, right? Well, Paul's in prison, and he's in stocks, and he's singing. How awesome is that? Have you ever had one of those moments, you know, where, where things were just so bad that all you knew to do was just cry out to Jesus? I mean, they're literally tears of, of anguish and pain and sorrow, but then suddenly, somehow they transform there and become tears of joy. <laughs> Isn't that awesome when that happens? And I love, Paul sets the example. Listen, no matter what you and I are going through, we can praise God. I, I, I have, in the last, I won't give too much detail, but in the last few days, I have been struggling with a kidney stone. Anybody ever had a kidney stone? I can't believe I'm even up here preaching right now, to be honest with you, all right? Um, But you know what? I just said, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to keep going. We're going to do this, no matter what you're going through. And then finally, this one. Now, this one here, I I just kind of, makes me mad, to be honest with you, because Paul held no grudges. And I'll tell you why it makes me mad. Because there are some people in my life, people have been very close to me, that have hurt me and they have wronged me. And I don't want to love them. (laughs) Can I just be real with you? Come on now. It's easy for us to hang on to that hurt and to hold that against those individuals who have wronged us. But you see, listen, Paul was willing to open the door of salvation to the jailer who had shut the prison door on him. Wow. There was never a grudge in Paul's nature. He could preach to, every man, to any man, especially the man who put him in prison stocks. And Jesus asked the same of you and me. And I just wrote this down in my notes, and, and, and then I'm writing it to me as well as to you. Do you have an enemy you need to forgive? More importantly, maybe is there an enemy that you need to share the gospel with? What should our attitude be? Well, we've got to be willing to listen. If you never listen, you're not going to be able to follow. Once we hear it, though, we've got to go, and we've got to know the gospel is for any one and everyone, and then we've got to let that gospel also, not only do you share verbally, but there's got to be things we do with our hands and our feet. Let me end with one last story, another Uber story, if I can. Um, I picked this woman up at, um, my mom tells me, Tim, please be careful when you say that phrase, I picked this woman up, but I was like, mom, it's always in the context of an Uber driver, it's okay, it's legal. So anyway, I, uh, I picked this woman up in, in Fondren. She was at Brent Drugs. She had just flown in town. She lived, actually lives here in, her, well, she lives in San Diego or San Francisco. I couldn't remember which one of those, in, one of those places in California. Some hippie out there, right? So anyway, so she, she flew in here, and, but she lives in, her family lives in Clinton. So I picked her up there, and I'm bringing her all the way back to here. And so, uh, uh, now, she was not intoxicated at all. Actually, very intelligent woman. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure she was a doctor. She didn't say she was. But uh, she certainly used words that I didn't even know. I mean, it was like, I had to stop her a couple times. What does that mean? I don't understand what you're saying. But what she did, her profession was this, is that her and her team, and she led this whole team, and she does it around the world. Um, I mean, say, I love being an Uber driver. I mean, you meet all kinds of people. But her and her team develop exercises for oncology patients. And so she's very just, just uh, um, you know, just, What's the word I'm looking for? Just essential that, that you have to, that, that cancer patients need to be constantly moving and exercise. So she develops these exercises. She takes them into hospitals and tries to present their program and stuff. 
And so that got us on the topic of cancer. And I said, well, I said, unfortunately, just less than two years ago, I buried one of my best friends from cancer. Well, his brother is my best friend, but he was a member of my church. And it just, he's my age. And she said, yeah, uh, my, we just, I had just flown back to Jackson a couple years ago where we buried my baby sister, a teenager who had died of cancer. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, man, it just makes me so mad, you know, the, 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 what cancer does. She said, I know. And I said, um, and I said but I just, I'm just so thankful. I said, me personally, I'm thankful for the, the hope that I have in Jesus. And she said, yeah, she said, I, I'm, not, I'm not really into that. She, matter of fact, she just flat out stated, I, I don't really have any beliefs, so pretty much agnostic. And so that got me, to be honest with you, that kind of gets me excited when they say that, because I'm like, I start praying. And so we're talking some more, and um, we're pulling up, and I said, listen, I just want to tell you this before you go. I said, I said, I have never, I haven't dabbled in them, but I have studied numerous religions around this world. I, I know a little bit, enough just to be dangerous with each one of them, but I know a little bit about each one. I said, you know what? None of them make sense because they're all about relig- They're all about things you do. I said, but but what what gives me hope is not religion. I said, you know what? Christianity doesn't even give me hope. I said, Jesus gives me hope. And I said, I, I have hope that one day, maybe you know, you can see your sister again or my friend. I said, they'll be different. They're not going to be. I, I didn't get into that topic, but in heaven, I just said, there's just hope. And I said. I'm so sorry for what you went through. But I know for me, with losing my friend Randall and, and others, um, Jesus is the only thing that brought me peace. And, and we pulled up to her house, at her parents' house, and dropped her out. And she opened the car door, and she turned around. Before she got out, she put her arm on my shoulder. She said, you know what? This is the most spiritual conversation I've had with anybody in years. And she said, you have given me so much to think about. I said, can I pray with you? She said, sure. And we prayed. Uh, by the way, Uber tells me I'm not allowed to pray with my people, but it's my car. I'll do what I want. Probably I'm not allowed to preach about it in a sermon either. But anyway, um, just thought about that. Don't put this on social media. So, um, here's why I tell you that. The guy that I picked up earlier, I, 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 I'm not trying to be judgmental. I just, the way he spoke, the way he carried himself, he was from a different rung on the social ladder. There's no question. You had this woman who was high up on the social ladder, very intelligent, very articulate, very pretty, smelled good, just all of it. This guy, he, by the way, he did not smell too good. But, <laughs> but you know what? Both of them needed Jesus. And Acts chapter 16 shows us that the gospel is for anyone and everyone. So I pray that you and I will shut the things of the world out, and it's noisy. We'll hear the call of the Spirit. We'll share the call of the Spirit. We'll share the gospel, and we'll find ways to serve others. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you, yes, that you came to earth to die for us, but you also showed us how to live. You showed us how to treat one another. You taught us that. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, I'm so thankful that if we sing about my sins are gone, you've wiped them away. I'm a new creation. But that does not give me permission now to just sit and wait until I die and go to heaven. That means I have work to do. That means we each have work to do. Jesus, I pray 
that we will live for you. I pray that we will hear the call of the Spirit. And I pray that we'll respond to it obediently and passionately for you, Jesus. Because you responded to the Father's call for us obediently and passionately. It's the least we can do for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.